love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So, as we sit here recording this podcast at our little house on a lake in Maine, the wind is howling today. Mm. It's uh, bending trees over, so you might hear some windy noise in the background. That's true. Also, we've had an influx of birds to my new bird feeder, so you might hear some shrieking, some leaping out of my chair, and some ooh birds. Yeah, because that's how cat rolls. Also, I'm gassy. Scott sent us an email at curator at theboxofoddities.com regarding our last episode about places that people scatter ashes. Yes. He said, I listen to your podcast while walking my three dogs, and I'm sure people in town think I'm a nut. I often burst out laughing. I just finished the episode about strange places people are scattering their ashes, and I wanted to share this. After my dad passed away, nine of his friends put his ashes in muzzle loaders and shot them out over the Snake River. (laughs) (laughs) Your dad must have been awesome. Kind of crazy, he said, but that was my dad. Keep flying the freak flag. Scott. Thanks, Scott. Yay, Scott. We also got this message via Instagram from Tokes Magoats. Hey, Kat and Jethro, me and my girlfriend are huge fans of the show. Thought I'd share my plans for my burial. Half of my ownings are going to be sold and use that money to buy gold and a treasure chest and my body chained to it and left in an underwater cave that I used to explore in Hawaii. Oh I got my freak flag flying. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're my hero. I love it. Fantastic. There will also be a scavenger hunt. <laughs> I know how you love a scavenger hunt. You know I do. Do you remember a few years ago the story about uh, California or actually a, a couple from Mexico uh, were arrested in California because they smuggled bathtub cheese across the... Uh, yes. 
Across yes, the, I remember discussing the bathtub cheese. Bathtub cheese, yeah. Bathtub cheese, is, as it's known on the street, is made by unlicensed cheesemakers, uh, whether it's in a bathtub or in a stock pot. And they use, uh, it causes some serious food poisoning. Because, I'm sorry, I'm just going to interrupt real quick. Yeah. Um, was this story inspired by our watching of The Life of Brian last night? Yes, yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> Blessed are the, the cheesemakers. Cheese um, so they manufacture this in less than sanitary conditions. Sure. And uh, about 10 years ago, California Department of Food and Agriculture, along with local police, arrested a couple. They were smuggling bathtub cheese across the border in their pants and selling them at a, at a flea market. There's so many layers there. It's called queso fresco. That's Disagree. The, that's the, yeah, <laughs> Disagree. No. When it's been in somebody's pants, that queso ain't fresco. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, I assume because uh, it's made in a bathtub and because of the word fresco, that it means that it's made in the open air so that bacteria must, can... Yeah. Is that... Okay. But yeah. unfortunately, the wrong kind of bacteria. It, it was uh, at one point causing tuberculosis outbreaks. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. I didn't even know that cheese could cause tuberculosis. Uh, apparently it can. Now, I love this. The couple was arrested on, quote, felony cheese manufacturing charges. Who wants to eat bathtub cheese, number one? I want to see their mugshots so much. But but who would want to eat bathtub cheese that's been smuggled in people's pants? Like I said, there's layers there. Layers and layers. Yeah. We watched Life of Brian, and that got me thinking about the cheesemakers and the smuggling. And then that got me thinking about... Other weird things that people have smuggled. So that's my topic today. Bizarre smuggling stories. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't work out. I like it. I like it. My mom's obsessed with one of those shows about like border patrol people and the things that they confiscate from people at airports and such. She tries to tell me like entire episodes and I don't I don't understand (laughs) why she thinks I want to hear that. But um, I'm interested in what you have to say. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I like you. Beginning in 2014, a guy named Leston Lawrence, according to Ranker, attempted to cheat the Canadian Mint's security and smuggle about $140,000 worth of gold. That's U.S. dollars, $180,000 in Canadian dollars. Um, In his butt, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police received a heads up about uh, Lawrence's um, smuggling practices by a bank teller. Who noticed the thief was making an unusual amount of deposits? But yeah, so what? So it wasn't all at once. Yeah, no, it was over a period of time. Okay. Thank goodness. So he was shoving gold nuggets in his butt, and then apparently going to his house and uh, retrieving them, hopefully rinsing them off. And then taking them to the bank and making these ridiculously large gold deposits. The bank teller was at uh, the Ottawa Gold Buyers store, and that's where he was he was busted. Okay. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling he was busted. Yeah. Something. Something was busted. In January of 2016, 288 marijuana-filled bundles of roofing shingles, oh. about 950 pounds. And a street value of six hundred or $763,000 went through the uh, Mexican-American border at El Paso. They just kind of drove through with shingles made out of weed. 
So I'm sorry. They made shingles yeah. out of weed. Yeah, they made they made weed look like shingles. That's and they put amazing. It, put it in bundles. That's so clever. See, that's the kind of ingenuity that we need here in the states. <laughs> well, it sounds a lot like an old Cheech and Chong movie where they actually made a car out of weed. I think it was Up in Smoke. I, I haven't seen that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the exhaust ignites it, and everybody on the highway behind him is getting hammered. Sure. Yeah. Then. And this sounds like it came from a James Bond movie. Drug smugglers attempted to uh, smuggle cocaine inside of 20 frozen shark carcasses. Oh. Yeah. They they filled it up with slabs of cocaine. About a ton. About a ton of cocaine. Uh, The people in charge of the shipment tried to, to pass off the cocaine as a preserving agent. But uh, I guess the customs officials weren't buying it. They tested the shark powder and found it was a bajillion dollars worth of nose candy. Yeah, I am just, uh, was it a scheme of convenience? Was it like, hey, we've got a bunch of shark carcasses and this is, you know, how we can use this? Or was it, we need a way to smuggle this cocaine. What do you think about shark carcasses? (laughs) I think probably the latter would be the way to go. I imagine that they were involved somehow in uh, exporting shark carcasses for whatever reason. Shark fins are a popular thing. And who knows? Eating, I don't think people eat shark, do they? I mean, they're they're scavengers. People eat shark. Yeah, really? Wow. I would never eat a shark. I would be afraid one of his relatives would, you know. Seek revenge? Seek revenge on Sure, me. like Jaws 2? Yeah. Sure. In uh, August of 2016, a traveler who was only identified by his surname, Lee, was attempting to travel through an airport in China. He's a traveling man. He's made a lot of stops. Traveling man. Mm-hmm. He was on a uh, China... He was on a China... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I'm done. I'm done. Go ahead. He was on a China Southern Southern Airlines flight to Beijing with his best friend, who was a turtle. Now, they wouldn't allow him to bring his turtle (gasps) on the airplane. So he tried to, well, he did. He smuggled it onto the aircraft in a KFC sandwich. He put it in a chicken sandwich and just (laughs) carried it on. But the airport noticed some, quote, odd protrusions in the burger wrapper in the x-ray scanner. And uh, Squash's attempt to take his little buddy on the flight. According to the Telegraph, Lee had to leave his turtle with a friend and take a later flight because he put his turtle inside the... All right. You know, it's just a cute little... You know. little tiny little cute turtles that you get at a pet store. But he just wanted to take his friend, so he put him in a KFC sandwich. I have a lot to say about this. Um, <clears throat> what? Uh, <laughs> Uh, you you can't do that. You can't put animals inside sandwiches for air travel. No, it's not. It's not cool. I don't think the turtle liked that. Um, also, don't buy turtles at pet stores. It's not okay. Where do you buy turtles? You shouldn't buy turtles. Leave turtles alone. Just leave them alone. <laughs> Where do you buy turtles? <laughs> and for the love of God, don't put them in a KFC sandwich. Right. Also in 2016, a man was caught at Tansun Yat Airport in Ho Chi Minh City. Uh, he was smuggling live birds to Taiwan, and what he was doing was uh, putting them in his pants. Did he jam them into soda bottles and then tie the soda bottles to his legs? They're not in soda bottles. He just strapped them to his legs inside his pants. 
and attempted to board an aircraft. He had live birds inside his luggage as well, too, including 11 varieties listed as endangered species. You know, I don't necessarily buy into the death penalty. (laughs) In this case, you'd make an exception. I just can't. What? Illegal trade of wildlife is a huge problem. Yeah, I know. That's why the you know poacher poachers they're you know yeah. they're back with a vengeance. Customs officials were on the lookout for smugglers, so he didn't make it past uh, the um, initial checkout well, checkpoint. That makes sense because it sounds like he had a horrible plan. No, he had a terrible plan. He had eleven different species, not eleven birds, eleven different species in his pants and in his luggage. That, that was not well thought out, nor is being a bird smuggler. Stop it. Also, don't buy birds at pet stores. Where do you buy birds? Don't buy birds. Leave them alone. <laughs> In September of 2016, which was a big year for smuggling, apparently, a 64-year-old Delta Airlines employee was busted for trying to uh, move a kilo of cocaine inside of chocolate rum fudge that he'd stashed in his luggage. Uh, The suspect, Noel Llewellyn, told agents his sister-in-law was the one who packed the boxes of fudge. Way to go, Noel. You get busted for smuggling cocaine and fudge, and then you throw your sister under the bus. Nice. Noel, a.k.a. the party guy. I don't know. I'm into this guy. I I like his plan. Uh, I like fudge. You're a big panoush fan. He just sounds like fun, is what I'm saying. It's it's much better than birds. iPhone fever had uh, reached China in September of 2016. Smugglers were were trying to bring um, iPhones uh, into Ch- through Chinese customs, and authorities stopped more than 60 attempts in one day to smuggle iPhone sevens. Whoa! One smuggler had uh, he was really going for it. He had 44 cell phones strapped to his waist and ankles. I mean, he must have looked like a suicide bomber, especially when they took x-rays of him. That's a stupid plan. It's not a good plan. No. Overall, the seized phones were valued at about $450,000. Wow. Now, we mentioned Monty Python earlier, and uh, this next smuggling attempt came right out of Holy Grail. Drug smugglers attempted to use a catapult. (laughs) (laughs) To hurl drugs over the fence at the U.S.-Mexican border. That's in 2011. A video surfaced of a Mexican drug (laughs) smuggler using a catapult to toss bales of marijuana over the border uh, between Arizona and Mexico. Uh, The plan was certainly uh, valiant. It didn't work. Uh, Mexican police seized approximately 45 pounds of pot and the catapult and the SUV belonging to the smugglers. You want to see a picture of their catapult? Yes, was, I do. It was confiscated. Check that out. It looks. Oh my gosh, it does. It looks exactly <laughs> like something out of Holy Grail. Like they would fling a cow with. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if any of their mothers smelled of elderberries. Well, their father was a hamster. And then in January of 2016, smugglers attempted to sneak about uh, 2,500 pounds of marijuana qu- across the U.S. border with Mexico at the Fire International Bridge cargo facility. Uh, The discovery was made during a secondary search of the truck. The truck was full of carrots, but on closer inspection, uh, agents realized that they weren't looking at carrots, but they were looking at bundles of marijuana taped up in orange duct tape to look like carrots. Look at that photo. That's really clever. It really looks like a truck full of carrots. That's ballsy or stupid. I'm not sure which is... 
I like it. It's creative. Sure. Uh, you know, it's a creative use of orange duct tape. I think the real mistake there is they are all pretty uniform. If there had been more variation in color, shape, size, it would have looked more natural. I got to get on one of these teams. You want to start a smuggling ring? I'm just ring? saying that... <laughs> no, I'm just... I'm saying that... I can see what the problem was there. Uh-huh. I like to be a problem solver. Sure. Uh, and you, you want to employ your crafting skills to right. uh, assist smugglers. I love washi tape. What can I say? Okay. And finally, in June of 2016, in New Delhi, there were three travelers on their way to Dubai. And they were caught at the Indira Gandhi International Airport trying to smuggle foreign currency worth about $384,000 in their headgear and rectum. Why do people keep putting things in their butts at airports? It's not a storage container. It is not a storage container, and they have x-rays, and you're just going to look stupid because you got things in your butt. And even if you did get on the plane, for the love of God, when we fly to, like, say, Orlando, I can't just sit still without stuff in my butt. That's right. For three hours, let alone if I had $384,000 in foreign currency right. Every in my time ass. We fly with stuff in your butt. You can't even sit can't. in the, se- the no. seat. I have to get up and walk around, yeah. and I'm always adjusting myself. That's pretty much par for the course. Here's my advice don't put things in your butt. But really don't put things on your butt in preparation for a long air flight. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think you're you're painting with an awfully broad brush there with okay, the don't put don't, things in your butt. Okay, don't put money in your butt. Yes, absolutely. Okay. okay. Yeah. What you do in the privacy of your own home is not up to us. Yeah, it's not and we don't care. But but yeah. You know. Don't put foreign currency in your in your butt. Yeah. Is what we're saying. Yeah. No anus dollars. Bunghole change. Chocolate starfish coins. Ass cash. Nice. It seems so obvious. How did I miss <laughs> I it? I don't know. Anyway, that's what I have for you. Took us to narrow. Sorry. What? Butt bucks. Whoa. Yeah. Nice job. Thanks, sweetie. <laughs> I'm just going to end there. And now, the Box of Oddities brings you that thing in the middle. This comes from Strange History, Mysterious Artifacts, Macabre Legends, Boneheaded Blunders, and Mind-Bending Facts. Available on our Goodreads page. On March 1st, 1950, choir practice was due to begin at the Westside Baptist Church in Beatrice, Nebraska at 7.20 p.m. It didn't. Why not? Not a single choir member had shown up. One person was late because she needed to iron her daughter's dress. Two wanted to hear the end of an exciting radio program. One mom couldn't wake her daughter from a nap. Fifteen people were supposed to be there, but they had ten different excuses for why they were not. And then, at 7.27 p.m., seven minutes after choir practice should have begun... An explosion blew apart the church, completely destroying the building. Fire inspectors attributed the blast to a natural gas leak. Was it just a coincidence that no one was there in the building? Rowena Vandergrift, one of the tardy choir members, thinks there was something more at work that night. Quote, it was an absolute miracle. Box of Oddities with Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. 
This is a new thing we're doing. Yeah, we're going to call this segment Stuff We Like. Because we're creative like that. Yeah, we spent a great deal of time and money on focus groups, and that's the best we could come up with. Actually, we have neither time nor money. What we have are bunions and a bad back. Nevertheless, we wanted to tell you about a podcast we like. It's called Two Girls, One Ghost. The hosts, Corinne and Sabrina, are just delightful. They really are. And you can tell that even though they're talking about ghost stories, they're enjoying each other while they're doing it. I love their chemistry. Absolutely. And you can tell they're best friends. And they so rarely interrupt each other. What? I'm sorry. I was I didn't hear you. I was thinking about the next thing I was going to say. They bring you haunting tales each week. And and we're recording this during a snowstorm in Maine. And that was a snowplow that just went by. Or we're haunted by a ghost truck. Uh, who doesn't love a good ghost story? And Corinne and Sabrina tell it as well as anybody I've heard. And what's really interesting is that there seems to be some sort of, I don't know if I want to say ghost, some sort of thing that keeps interfering. It it It, it may appear as though a ghost might be haunting their podcast. There's been some discussion about that. In fact, from what I understand, you could even hear an occasional EVP. Creepy. And they want to hear from you. So if you have a ghost story of your own, you can email two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com and you could hear your story on their next encounters episode. Two girls one ghost is available on Apple Podcasts and all other listening destinations. As Corinne and Sabrina say, see, see you, you on, on the, the other, other side. side. We're pretty excited. We just partnered with Himalaya. Uh, with a uh, distribution and content deal, a great company. And uh, after we do our show in Nashville, they're uh, sending us to Orlando for PodFest to to speak on a panel, which is kind of exciting. And weird. And weird because, well, this will be the first time. Yep. But we're super jazzed about it. And we're also way excited to meet these people. We've been talking to them a while now. And uh, it'll be nice to actually meet them in person because they all seem like such cool people. And uh, yeah. so excited slash nervous. I don't know what to wear. My hands are clammy. Some of the reasons we're really excited about uh, partnering with Himalaya is a, it's a great new podcast app that's worth uh, checking out. You really should. You should check it out. Himalaya is the number one spoken word app in the world. And so they're just now launching their U.S.-based podcast app. And uh, these guys are huge. You can find it in your app store. It's uh, like a red What's the word that I'm... Okay, it's like a red logo, and it says Himalaya, and it's got a little... Instead of a dot over the eye, it's got a li- like a little play button. It's super super cute. Yeah, I like you, it. you may have noticed that our uh, Box of Oddities logo has a red frame around it now, and it says hi in the bottom corner. It's not saying hi, that's the Himalaya logo. It's really easy to use, lots of features. You can build and connect with a community of podcast lovers. Every single podcast you love is there. And you can like or thumbs up individual episodes, which is really cool. So, um, yeah, you like the the podcast, but maybe there are some episodes that you dig on a little bit more. You can you can like ping. Yep. And also, this is this is something you should really um, know about. For people who listen to us on Himalaya, you're going to start getting the box of oddities a day before everyone else. And 
uh, coming soon, they're going to have shareable playlists. So you can share your playlist with friends and family on social media, text and email, and we can share playlists with you. Yeah, we're excited about that. So it's it's a brand new podcast app. It's going to be the best one out there. We're excited to be uh, partnered with them. And if you download on the App Store or Google Play Store and follow us, the Box of Oddities, then you will get, this is going to come pretty soon, within the next few weeks, you'll be getting the Box of Oddities show a day before everyone else. So if you want to get the box a day early, Himalaya is the place to do that. Yep. Check it out. That is H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A. It's spelled like Himalaya. Because it's Himalaya. Or Himalaya. Like finding a box of human remains in your attic, but without all those nagging detectives and reporters at your door. This is The Box of Oddities. What you got for me? Ooh. So... Picture myself on a boat in the river with tangerine cheese and marmalade. All right, <clears throat> Brazil. Mm-hmm. We're fans. Yes, we've never been there, no. but we hope to. Uh, it is the largest South American country. It stretches from the Amazon basin uh, in the north to vineyards in the south, sparkling waters, lush plant life. And off the coast of Brazil, in the Atlantic Ocean, lies a small island. The island's about 25 miles off the coast, about 90 miles total from Sao Paulo. Okay. Ilha de Quimada. Ooh. Grande. You you say that so well. I'm not sure that that's accurate. It sounds accurate. Ilha de Quimada Grande. And it's gorgeous. Um, There are... Satellite photos of it, you can see from the top, it looks like one of those Jurassic Park islands, you know, just lots of different types of terrain ranging from bare rock to rainforest. It's got a temperate climate. It's beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. Is it uninhabited? Nobody lives there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Because Brazil's made it illegal. To, to live there. To live there. Really? Or even to visit. Why? Are there dinosaurs there? There are no dinosaurs. Mm. No. But... Because that'd be a good reason to make it illegal to go. Right. No, it's not. I agree. Hmm. Yeah. Don't go to the island with the dinosaurs. Leave them alone. Where do you buy dinosaurs? <sighs> Ilha de Quemada is also known as Snake Island. Oh, my God. Scientists estimate that up to 4,000 snakes live on the 110-acre island, with some reports indicating you can find one snake for every six yards. Oh, my God. Six square yards. How okay. do they? How can they possibly survive? There must be an awful lot of mice and stuff there. Probably not anymore. No, it's probably true. Yeah. So, how do they survive? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Many of those uh, 4,000-ish snakes, a snake every six square yards. That's my nightmare. That and the one where Polly Shore clipped his toenails over my spaghetti. Many of these snakes are golden lancehead vipers, one of the deadliest snakes in the entire world. The snake's venom is said to be three to five times stronger than that of any mainland snake. This is from the Smithsonian. 
Although some claim the snakes were put on the island by pirates hoping to protect their gold, in reality, <laughs> the island's dense population of snakes evolved over thousands of years with human inter- without human intervention. Around 11,000 years ago, sea levels rose, and that was enough to isolate the island. So it used to be part of the mainland. Now okay. it's isolated because of the water. Um, and that snake species lived on the island, and their counterparts, their their old relatives that live on the mainland, were unchanged. But because of their isolation on this island, they've evolved uh, on a different path. So the snakes that ended up stranded had no ground-level predators that allowed them to produce or reproduce very rapidly. Um, that also provided a challenge. They had no ground-level prey. So to find food, the snakes had to move upward, preying on migratory birds. Did they evolve wings? The bir- the snakes? Yeah. No. Because that'd be really cool. They went up the trees and then would would bite would bite the birds I see. in the trees. That's crazy. Yeah, but because they are they're biters, they, it the venom is what takes out the birds, sure. which means that. It has to be very fast-acting venom to be effective. So only the snakes that were were more venomous were getting fed. So those snakes reproduced. They made more venomous snakes. Those snakes reproduced. They made more venomous snakes. It reminds me of the um, samurai crab story. exactly. That Carl Sagan talked about in Cosmos a thousand years ago or whenever a fisherman pulled a crab out of the bay that looked like it had a samurai's face on it. And so he spared it and threw it back. And all of the fishermen over the centuries continue this tradition until now there's an entire subspecies of crabs that have samurai faces. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like that only with venom. Yeah. The snakes have to track down these birds that they've bitten. They can't have gone a long ways. That that I, makes I sense, you. right? Okay, so they bite it. It's not it's not an immediate effect, right? They bite it. The bird flies away, right? So then the snake has to track down the bird that he's just bit, um, which is why the more venomous snakes were able to track down those birds because they had gone a lesser distance. Sure. And okay, so we understand how this is happening. That's fascinating. Right. Um, so now they're they're venoms to the point where. Like with a bird, they can kill their prey almost instantaneously. Wow. They're that venomous. But how, though, you might ask? Well, the effects of the lance head's venom include swelling, local pain, nausea and vomiting, blood blisters, bruising, blood in the vomit and urine, intestinal bleeding, kidney failure, hemorrhage of the brain, and severe necrosis of muscular tissue. So it's a bad day. (laughs) It's a bad day. They also have a hematoxic venom that eats away the flesh and tissue. Um, It's like a pre-digestion kind of thing. So um, their venom will start eating away at the animal so that by the time the snake gets to eating it, it's already working on digesting it. Holy shit. From the early 1900s to about 1920s, there were a few people that did live on the island in order to run its lighthouse. But according to a local tale, the last lighthouse keeper, along with his entire family, were killed by snakes. No kidding. 
Um, because of the overall low population of the golden lancehead, the snake was labeled as critically endangered on the IUCN red list of threatened species. It was also placed on Brazil's endangered species list. And that's because there's a black market demand by scientists and animal collectors, also known as wildlife smugglers or biopirates. Ah, uh, there you go. I bet there have been no arrests at international airports with these vipers in, in people's pants, though. Or in their butts. Right. I think you're yeah. exactly right. right. Though, I, that's not to say that I have not been approached at an airport by people asking if I want to see their Viper in their pants. Mm-hmm. You're going to the wrong airport, if that's the case. So, so they trap the snakes. They sell them through illegal channels. Um, also, habitat degradation from removal of vegetation and disease has also damaged the island's population. They estimate that the number of snakes on that island is about half of what it was about 15 years ago. No kidding. Yeah. So imagine how many snakes per square foot that is. Well, it's, it's pretty easy math, I guess. <laughs> anyway. So, snake math is hard. So Snake Island is closed to the public in order to protect, oddly enough, the snakes. Um, the access is only available to the Brazilian Navy and selected researchers who are vetted by the uh, Chico Mendes Institute for Biodiversity Conservation and the uh, Brazilian Federal Conservation Unit. So they go there, they do uh, research, they learn about the population, sure. what what are the issues that they're still dealing with. The snakes, I guess, because of the intense population there and because they started from such a small group in the first place, there's a lot of inbreeding and that's kind of a problem for them. But, you know, they, who's there to judge? Yeah, what they do in their own little snake bedrooms. Right. I was also, I was trying to learn more about uh, the terms for groups of snakes. And of course, there's um, uh, den is popular. Sure, a den uh, of vipers. You've heard that. Pit sure. of vipers pit. also. Um, a coil is sometimes used. Really? But if you're talking about rattlesnakes, the name for a group of rattlesnakes is a rumba. A rumba? That sounds fun. Right. And it wouldn't be. No, they, uh, I, I don't know where that comes from, but I can only imagine it has something to do with uh, dancing to get away from yeah, uh, right. the, the pit of snakes. Sure. <clears throat> so I want to go here. You don't want to go there. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to mess with them. You know, uh, obviously if, if it means that I would hurt them, then no, I don't want to go there. But I would love to, to see a, a place that is so foreign to what I know. You know, I mean, I look out my window and I'm like, look for chickadees. Yeah, you know? the only way that I would even remotely consider setting foot on that island is if I was wearing a suit of armor and, on, and I was on stilts. That would be the only way I would even consider it. <laughs> And let's face it, that would be stuffy and uncomfortable. Absolutely. <sighs> You're showing me a picture of this ball of vipers that's probably eight feet wide. No, thank you. Sometimes they hang out together for warmth. Yeah, I guess they do. But look at how pretty these vipers are. They are pretty. I'll give you that. Isn't he gorgeous? When I lived in Arizona, I saw a bull snake one time. And, you know, I was driving on a dark desert highway with cool wind in my hair. Sure, sure. And this bull snake was going across the road. And it was it was a narrow dirt road. His head was at the center of the road. Mm-hmm. 
his tail was still in the bushes. Yeah. It was freaking huge. <laughs> and I don't know if this is true or not, but they say, when I, when I lived in Arizona, they used to say, always be careful, you know, if you run over a snake when you get out of your car, because they sometimes will coil up on the underside of your vehicle mm -hmm. and then attack you when you get out. Sure. I mean, I would too, if you'd just run me over. Rude. I was actually watching a uh, a video a while ago about studies that they've done on human behavior when they see animals in the road and the incredible increase in numbers of snake deaths on the roadways yeah. as opposed to other animals. Like people will just run over snakes, not even thinking about it, um, or go out of their way to run over a snake, which to me, you know, blows yeah. my mind. Yeah. I, I could not... Nothing about that makes any sense to me. No. So um, I just feel bad. Like they didn't ask to be a snake. There was one day I remember we were driving and there was a snake in the road. Here in Maine, we have no venomous oh, no. snakes. But they can no. get pretty big. They're all made of potatoes. We stopped the car and you had to get out and, and remove the snake from from the road and then it peed on you no it's shit on me oh it's shit on you, you which guys, snake poop is the worst smell and awful. it sticks with you it's i you know i think it's part of their their defense mechanism well, it worked um it is awful yeah i made you ride in the car with your arm out the window i don't blame you all the way home it's the worst and snake poop and venom it's a tough choice you know, which would you rather have? Well, those venomous snakes might poop on you, too. Yeah, so you might get both. Right. But then if they did poop on you, you'd probably want to die anyway. Agreed. Yeah. I almost did just driving in the car with Secondhand you. Secondhand poop smell. Oh, my God. It was the worst. Did we have to land the plane? We had to land the plane. You know it. <laughs> anyway, that's Snake Island. I hope to see it sometime. Well, have fun. <laughs> I'll be back at the hotel watching Undercover Boss. <laughs> Still tickets available to our live show, I think. Uh, you might you might try. Theboxofoddities.com. Click on the uh, live show link. And we look forward to seeing you, those of you who can make it. That's going to be the 27th, which is... So soon. Two weeks. Holy shit. It's so soon. So that's it, I guess. Uh, Box of Oddities will land on your phone again on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it. That's... And fly her. it. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to, to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world. 
plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.